Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellish Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and anybody else that we happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, or someone just floating through this channel, I hope you find it interesting. If you get here by chance, please take a moment to, moment to hit the subscribe button. Um, hopefully that can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. And if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com. And I'll try to get that taken care of. I also generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube. You can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or Twitter with the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place to pick up these links, um, episode details, and more. Today is November the 17th, and we're going to be talking about brand mysticism and um, Dunce Whiskey. And I'll start with the, the, the book. I'm a little more familiar with that. It's a, it's a fantastic book, and I generally... I'm a generally pretty uh, avid and voracious reader, and I like books that I consume. I can consume quickly, and I was like, "Oh, sweet! I'm going to get a copy of this book. I'm going to kind of burn through it and then derive a bunch of questions." And I got maybe thirty or forty pages into the book and realized I'm going to have to my, take my time with this. I'm going to have to really kind of marinate on it, and that's a compliment. I don't. That's it may okay. sound like a back kind of compliment. It's not. Um, I've worked in digital product. Um, development and management for last, you know, over 10 years and reading through this, this is, you know, while brand mysticism may be around some spirits and other things, it, it feels like a manifesto to um, art, advertising, creativity, branding type people. There's, there, there feels like there's so, so much more there. Um, one of the most difficult things in my job is naming things. Uh, I don't know if you guys experience this or not, but um, the name brand mysticism, I have my thoughts of mysticism, but is, is there intent behind the name? Like when we just start at the very beginning. Uh, absolutely. There's intent with the name. I mean, I, I feel like what's interesting about it, it's taken me, uh, I've been in business for 34 years and uh, it's taken me almost that long to realize that I have a very strange process in my creativity mm -hmm. and it's not linear uh, and it's not scientific. It is indeed mystical and spiritual. And, and I think that, you know, thankfully I, uh, through the talents of Aaron Goldfarb, he helped me articulate and uh, put it down on paper, what it is, the process that we go through. I, so and that that's that's exactly where I landed on this, right? And so you know, I, I did the 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 nerd thing, and you, you think of a word, and you're like, all right, let's go look up the definition of the word, and you got to get maybe to the second or third definition before you hit it. But this idea of mysticism being a spiritual understanding of something that is not necessarily knowledge that is that's accessible by your intellect, right? And you're you're describing that exactly. You know, your your process is is not linear, and you call it strange and. I would challenge, at least in my thought process, is that it's probably more normal than you might think, but the historical imp implementation of advertising, branding, anything forces everyone into a linear path, right? Like that's what society dictates. This is how you're going to generate a brand, generate, do these things. You got to follow these 10 steps. Everything is, is that way. And I don't, don't think, I, don't, I think that's not normal. And that's what I appreciate about this book is that it is, is more creative, I guess, maybe. Well, that's why I think we um, spent a lot of time in the book talking about uh, bands like Led Zeppelin, like Tool. Mm -hmm. Because I think you're absolutely right. The way the creative process tends to work is it's a, um, like a stream of consciousness and it's a mashup of different things. And that's why we talk about, um, mm -hmm. you know, give the example of Led Zeppelin where, uh, you know, they sing about Tolkien, but yet it's, uh, the music is Mississippi blues and how it doesn't make any sense, mm -hmm. but it's the, uh, the mashup of those two ideas that forms the brand Led Zeppelin. And, and I create more like a band creates than I do the way Procter and Gamble creates. And I think the result uh, sometimes can be profound and sometimes, um, you know, you hit it out of the ballpark like a brand like Hendrix. Mm -hmm. And I feel lucky that in my career, and I think I've earned every step of it, but lucky that 
I'm allowed to create this way. So, you know, in, I have so many different. I'm going to back up to the music thing, and, and that's it's actually the next question that I had in here, or maybe a comment. I don't know. This is this may be more of a conversation than it is a, a straight interview, so I apologize if it's a little abnormal. But um, a couple months ago, I had. Um, a spoken word hip hop artist from the West coast joined me for an episode and he's somebody has followed for a very, very long time. And I enjoy his music, but it also makes me angry on a regular basis because I'm, um, you know, sometimes you get in the car, you're driving home and you just want to sort of veg out your, your commute home. You just want to listen to a bop and just kind of move on. And regularly I have to pull the car over and think about the words that he just said and the way that he put his phrasing together. And, you know, then I come across people like uh, the idols, which is a, a British pop punk punk, rock band whatever you want to call it and they've got a song that's really simplistic called mother and there's this one line and you know i listen to it and i'm like really kind of getting into it and then hours later i'm still thinking about one line out of it because of mm. the creativity that went into it because of the non-linear fashion and like i said i think that that creates sticky brands that yeah. create sticky products things that you follow the formula and you'll have success but if you create something that's sticky you'll have legacy and those two things aren't the same, at least in my mindset. Um, what, number one, what was the, the reason you were like, you know what, let's write this book. And then maybe a follow-up is, is for Aaron is, hey, how did you get into this? Like, how, how did you end up writing this book? Like, you know, where, where did it fall in your lap? And I'll let either one of you guys take the lead there if you want to. Oh, I'll let Aaron answer both these. Okay. Yeah, you know, I, I'd been aware of Steve for quite a quite a while, or maybe I should rather say I'd been aware of what he created. Uh, you know, I think most people who are, well, if you're a drinker, you've encountered Steve in the last 20 years. You might not know it. Actually, even even these days, I still think back to things and I realize he created them and I didn't even, even realize it. Um, but, you know, circa, I think, 2017, I was saying, who is this crazy guy who everything he touches turns to gold? I've always had an interest in how things go viral, whether it's articles. I mean, I obviously want all my articles to go viral. But, you know, more offbeat things, you know, can a liquor go viral? Well, Steve has proven that they can when he releases stuff from Tamworth Distilling, like, Uda Musk, which was coming out in 2017. It's a, it's a beaver anal gland whiskey made from castorum, um, a, a kind of colonial era flavoring. I mean, that sounds insane. And that's perhaps one reason why it went viral. So I interviewed him for Vine Pair and we had a really funny conversation. And a part of me couldn't believe he was saying these things because, you know, most people get on the phone with me and, and are very guarded. Um, and the, the article itself went viral. It's called, how does a, how do you make a booze brand go viral? And I talked to Steve. Um, and then I think it was February of 2020, right before the pandemic, his agent, Claire asked if I would come down to Philadelphia and meet with him. Um, cause he was interested in writing a book. Uh, I go into his offices, you know, he's telling me all these insane things about Tolkien and, Led Zeppelin and all this insane stuff. And I don't even understand what he's talking about, <laughs> but I trust this guy because of his success. And I sign on, I say, okay, yeah, let's do this. Um, it took well into the pandemic to sell the book. And then we wrote the entire book uh, during the pandemic. Yeah. And I, I appreciate the, the nods to Tolkien there. You know, that was, um, I'm at the beneficial age of, you know, my, my older brother, if he had been a, a girl, his name would have been Arwen. Um, and so my dad was, you know, an avid and huge fan of, of Tolkien's work. Um, and so, you know, we kind of grew up in that and got to watch the movies as they came to fruition. And you're, you're exactly right. And in the, the, I, I want to go back to the, you mentioned the castorum from, from the beaver, beaver anal gland. And, and if, Growing up in rural Western Kentucky, you, you get to learn things about people who may be fur trappers or something along that lines. And you you learn that it's not nearly as weird as you might think it is, right? Because you say the word anal gland, you're like, oh my gosh. But then if you understand what that historically has been used for, you're like, okay, so it makes a little bit of difference. 
Um, but how do you piece these? Like, how do you get this knowledge and be like, all right, now let's make whiskey from it? Like, how, how do you get there? Well, I think what's interesting about it is, yeah, it's vanilla, right? It's a, it's been a vanilla um, substitute for a long time, and I, the ideas for the whiskeys come from different sources. Well, the, the sources are this: we have weekly meetings with our creative and production team. So Tamworth Distilling is in New Hampshire. The agency is in Philadelphia, but we have these weekly you know, two hour brainstorms where we come up with new ideas and the ideas either come from a, um, a story or a, or a book. I, uh, something I've read, for instance, uh, we, we, uh, our deer slayer whiskey came from, um, I just finished, uh, J James Fenimore Cooper's deer slayer book. And I asked my team, can we do anything with venison? Right. So, mm -hmm. uh, with the beaver gland, I think that, um, I think that idea generated from our, our biochemist, Matt Power, who uh, just has a wealth of historical knowledge as well as chemical knowledge and, and knew that it was a... See, with a TTB, it's really interesting because if you can prove ethnic or, or uh, historical usage, mm -hmm. they can give you a variance from what's allowed. And uh -huh. so we always joke, we think there's probably a poster of us at the TTB um, because we're such a monumental pain in their asses because we're always challenging them with, can we do this? Can we do this? Mm -hmm. And, um, and our ideas, you know, we'll, we'll plan something a year, a year in advance because we know it's going to take that long to get it through the regulations. So the ideas come from different sources, but again, like Led Zeppelin, it's a mashup of different, of different ideas. And it's that, illogical mashup that I think is probably at the crux or the, the epicenter of what brand mysticism is about. Um, and it, it comes from, like we also said, uh, in order to create interesting things, you need to live an interesting life. Because you can't pull ideas from TikTok or from social media. You, great ideas come from a deep well of esoteric sources that you've cultivated throughout a lifetime. So what I advocate in the book quite, you know, often and loudly is turn off the damn social media and pick up an old book, an actual book. Mm -hmm. And that's where the ideas are because no one else is creating something based on those books. Whereas if you're looking at um, like what's trending or what hype beast thing is out there, that's why everything looks the same. That's why everything's boring these days. That's why everyone's yeah. making a Negroni Spagliato right now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's like the fifth time I've heard that this week. And you're exactly, I mean, it can be, and that's why I kind of differentiated legacy and success earlier is because you can have success by following those trends because it's just algorithmic. It's, yes. this is what is going to work on a regular basis, but it doesn't, I mean, for all the guilty read. You froze. Did he freeze for you too, Aaron? He's frozen for me He's too. Frozen. I know. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there yeah. yeah. I think my, I think my internet's flaky. So sorry about that guys. Um, but like I said, I, I was saying is like, I can read John Grisham over and over and over again, and it's going to yeah. be the exact same story. And he's going to have wild success doing that but it's not going to be a legacy. It's not going to be a Tolkien. It's not going to be, you know, for all of the thing that it can be a, a, a JK Rowling or somebody who creates something that is moderately unique. Um, you know, and I'd say maybe JK Rowling isn't moderately unique because it's just a retelling of a lot of similar stories, but it's not the same book 10 times over. But just the thing time. is what's important is, okay. Mm -hmm. It's not like when I say Tolkien, I'm not saying like, pull things out of Tolkien. I'm saying like, read a ton of stuff. Yep. 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 And, and then put it together in a unique way. And I keep going back to bands because bands are usually a bunch of, you know, not that well-educated dudes who just put shit together that they like. So mm -hmm. I think there's too much. Um, don't be afraid to mash stuff up that doesn't really make sense, but that you personally think is cool. Because we also we also say a lot of times, um, like I create I don't 
create products based on research. I create products based on things that I would buy. And I assume there's other people out there like me. So it's, and that's what a great good band does that. Like they create stuff that they would, they personally are interested in. Um, yeah, so. I should also add that, and, and, uh, that we have an entire chapter that looks at uh, Steve and, and Tamworth's creative process going to create these crazier things. And I think that's one of the most fun chapters in the book. It looks at some ideas they had that didn't come to fruition. For instance, a, a LSD infused whiskey or a, a, a whiskey with um, the psychedelic uh, toad from from uh, south of the border stuff that stuff that's kind of funny and gimmicky but doesn't make sense for you know the ethos of the brand well it's and so, also that it's illegal so yeah well, that, so that, that, that was going to kind of pivot me to a question of um some of these psychedelic type drugs are no longer necessarily illegal in some states right and so you're gonna go try to you know guess distill some stuff in another state well they're still illegal to put in in alcohol yeah okay okay there's a separation of church and state so you know cannabis and ayahuasca and um shrooms are not allowed to be mixed with with uh alcoholic spirits at this point right we 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 we, got to get some uh some some uh although you you do you did work on a hemp cannabis oh yeah we have a it's it's called the pathfinder it's a Mm non-alcoholic um distilled spirit made with hemp and root and there is a thc version of that um which is making its way into a test market in the new year so Mm -hmm. it's quite good it's very good (laughs) well i mean that's that's kind of the under the overarching characteristic is that you can make a thing but at the end of the day, is it good? I think, you know, you, you can be different for different sake. And yeah, I was going to say, I always say that, you know, to be honest with you, the creative stuff coming up with a good brand is actually the easy part. Mm-hmm. Making it stick and work in the marketplace is the hard part. And I think that I have people coming to me all the time with ideas and I'm always like, yeah, that that's, I'm sure it's a great idea, but, Who's funding it, and how how does it go to market, and then how right. do you sustain itself when it once it gets to market? Yeah, and that, that's the the other side of the equation. You, you said earlier that um, you don't necessarily enjoy, like, or ascribe to to a ton of um, I don't want to say analysis, but um, market research, right? Market research making you know dictating a lot of decision making ahead of time. What we do, what we our, our bigger clients use research, mm-hmm. um, but we always say that we 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 don't use research to determine what we're going to do. We use research to prove our our um, what do you call it? Our instincts. So mm-hmm. we we tend like we use research to prove that we were right. Proven hypothesis. That prove point. our hypothesis. Yes, it's a very different way of of uh, the way most companies use research where they use research to determine what to do next. We use it to prove our hypothesis. Yeah. And and, and, in the line of work that I do, we regularly are encouraged to try to use market research to decide whether we even should test the hypothesis. And I'm like, you know, we're, 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 you're wanting us to do market research to test if the idea that we want to implement might be a good idea so we can implement it and then see what happens and do additional market research after the fact to say, was it successful? Um, that feels very slow and stupid. Yeah. Um, so in, in, and you mentioned Aaron, that you, you've sort of identified different things that Steven had worked on over time that you knew about, but you didn't know that it was him. And, and for me, that was red camel, right? Like ah, the, 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 the yeah. red camel, when I got to that part, I was like, Holy shit, I know this one. This yeah. is this, like, I knew, and I, I knew about, um, you know, Hendrix Jen and I knew about Sailor Jerry, but those were sort of after my, I'm not a big Jen fan and I saw Sailor Jerry, but um, Rome wasn't at the, I'm from Western Kentucky. It's gotta be whiskey. Like we're whiskey people. This is all we're supposed to do, you know? Um, <clears throat> but I got to Red Camel. I'm like, 
Kentucky, we we do tobacco, and I remember this very, very, very distinctly. And it was, um, you know, it was it was the box that you carried when you wanted to be a little bit different, a little bit edgy. You know, it, you still get to have the the, the parent brand, but well, what is it like, like reviving a brand like that, something that had been around and then disappeared and then brought back? Well, what year did that come out? We started working on that, I think, in '94. Came out in '90. Uh, maybe it was '96. Came out in no, it came out in '96. Anyway, uh, I had never done that before, right? So um, it was amazing because the amount of money involved, mm -hmm. um, and the fact that they gave us literal carte blanche to do whatever we wanted. So, and this was before. Tobacco was under FDA regulation. So there weren't many rules, but at the same time, um, there were a lot of rules. So it's interesting. We always talk about tobacco as being in the marketing Marine Corps because mm -hmm. it's a very, you learn how to do stuff without being able to do stuff that makes sense. And I feel mm -hmm. like that really taught us how to, uh, taught us a lot of really good rules for when we went into the spirits business. But Red Camel was the shit, man. I remember <laughs> my favorite Red Camel story was I was very good friends with Bob Guccione Jr. who, who owns Spin Magazine. And Bob called me one day and he said, I'm sitting in a limo with Oasis. And they just yeah. saw the Red Camel pack and they freaked the fuck out. And I was like, wow, that is a mic drop, drop moment early in yeah. my career. And I was like, holy shit. Because at the moment, Oasis was the biggest band in the world. Yeah, I, I remember this timeline. Yeah, yeah. And, this, this is, I don't know, yeah. maybe Aaron, you may not be old enough to remember Oasis, but uh, I'm, I'm old. Enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so yeah, similarly, like, so you, you like putting it on the timeline of, you know, you know, Red Camel is in 96, 97, 98-ish, and Oasis is hitting right around that time frame. You you know, for any 20-something who's watching, they're going to be like, oh, oh, we have to go. It was nuts. Uh, Red. Froze again. Yes, this internet is the yeah. best today. Apologies. All right. Anyways, hey, um, so the other thing about But anyways, Red like trying to, trying to create a modern corollary of what The other thing about Red Camel that was pretty amazing was my goal was I wanted Red Camel to be as cool as Diesel brand was. Diesel was the uh, the hot fashion brand, the early 90s. And it was all about magazines back then. So our I, I wanted Red Camel to be as like first two spreads of the magazine, like were like the kind of ads people tear out and put on their wall. So mm -hmm. when I met my wife, who's nine years younger than me, she said when she was a student at Occidental, she had red camel ads all over her dorm wall. And I thought, holy shit, that's exactly what I was going for. Um, I think it was a little <laughs> too cool, though, because I think that um, mm -hmm. red camel might have been the start of uh, why the government was so excited to regulate <laughs> cigarettes. So you may but have man, been so successful that you brought its downfall. But I tell you, man, for a while, it was like being a pirate. Because mm -hmm. you got all this money and flying around in private jets and shooting million-dollar photo shoots. And it was, uh, it, was a, it was a blast. And then it all ended when, uh, when it went under, under FDA, which it should have. But mm -hmm. for a while, it was like, you know, madman, uh, you know, total crazy, crazy. It's fun. All right. Now I don't even know where to go next because I, I had that kind of way down. Um, when I first came across the, are you, are you there again? Yeah. We're here. yeah. When I first came across the, the, or when I first started reading the book and kind of understanding a little bit more about who Steven is and about Aaron's writing and, and kind of what's going on here. Uh, my first thought process was, 
Um, I had uh, Ari Sussman from Mammoth Distilling on uh, an episode uh, six months ago or whatever, and I thought he needs to read this book. Like I need to send this his direction. And then about three days later, I see it on his social media. He's reading the same thing because I feel like there's like a a kindred spirit, you know, because um, the there's there's a connection to music and there's a connection to 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 kind of just being different and being okay with being different like that's that's the thing um so there's a there's a whiskey that correlates to the book right and so there's yeah. this dunce whiskey let's yeah. let's let's hear about number one why go with the name dunce and uh you know what, what's what's the story on the connection here so i'll let aaron answer the first part and then i'll answer more about how dunce what dunce is well you know as a author i think this is my 10th book maybe my ninth you're always looking for ways to promote the book and so about a year ago i said to myself i co-wrote a book with the guy who owns a distillery it'd be pretty stupid not to just release you know a bottle of alcohol with the book the first ever co-branded alcohol along with a book you know it's not even john that'd be hard for john grisham to do that'd be hard for a lot of guys to do because they don't own a distillery and it's not easy to get alcohol made so i i pitched steve on the idea and i think most distillery owners might have just slapped the cover on the on the bottle as a label which would have been fine with me but you know that got steve's head spinning and next thing we know he's got an entirely new brand he, he used brand mysticism to create this branded whiskey for the book. So I'll let him explain uh, how that came to fruition. Well, there's a chapter in the book about yeah. what, what is it? What's the chapter, Aaron? It's about it's uh, called um, it's, it's about people that come to uh, Steve for, you know, a consult and they say, you know, I, I've bought, you know, a hundred barrels of MGP and I'm going to become the next great booze maven like you. What should I do next? And he essentially says, well, you know, you're, you're already, you're already lost. You know, how are you going to create the next big brand when you've just sourced whiskey like everyone else on planet earth? So, you know, th this, this brand he created is both a, a troll on those kind of people, but kind of spinning the idea on its head. There's a, the, the illustration in the book we use to talk about sourcing whiskey is a dunce cap over a whiskey glass. Okay. Um, and uh, so we, we thought it'd be fun to call it dunce, but then the mysticism kicked in, right? And we learned that, uh, so I'm like, okay, so what's the origin of the dunce cap? Why is it called a dunce cap? So do a little research, and it turns out that John Duns Scotus lived in the uh, 1200s. He's a Scotsman, widely considered to be the smartest man alive. And the reason he was smart was he had a conical cap that captured the energy of the heavens and channeled into his brain. So he was using mysticism that he got from the Egyptians with pyramid power, and he was using it to improve his intelligence. Well, obviously it worked because he was the smartest man alive. So, but this made the Pope jealous. And what did the Pope do? Well, he buried him alive. He killed him. And uh, this is all a true story too, by the way. You look it up. So John Dunscotus had a disciples called Dunsman who followed him. So the Pope set out on a quest to, you know, flip the script and turn the Dun the Dun's cap into a symbol of stupidity rather than a symbol of uh, of intelligence. I think we've lost John. So That's I guess good. should I keep going? I guess I'll keep going. So we I think we're alive still. We're alive still. So the the dunce cap became a symbol of of uh, yeah. We've totally lost John. Um, the dunce there. Here's John's back. So the dunce cap became a symbol of stupidity when it in fact was a symbol of intelligence. So we thought, what if we took the conical energy? Would that help the finish of a of a barrel? So we bought barrels from MPG, which First, it was starting as a troll, but then we put these giant dunce caps on the barrels in our distillery. And we even went to the extent of like, we're in a beautiful idyllic setting in the White Mountains along a river. We would even take the, uh, the, 
the, the whiskey barrels out into the moonlight by the river and we put giant dunce caps on them. And we did this for a period of six weeks. And the before and after of the tasting is profound. So through mystical energy, conical energy, the ancient energy of the Egyptians, we've finished the, the dunce whiskey and it's become this incredible, um, beautiful uh, bourbon. And it's only $40. So don't be a dummy. Don't be a dunce. Be a dunce. Don't be a fool. Drink mm -hmm. dunce. So there you go. That's so I, I, I just I, I love this idea that something that started off as like a you know it's, it's kind of like a a trolling turned into yes. a whole other thing like that's my whole career that's my whole life my whole life is I don't I don't take anything seriously but I take everything I take my silliness very seriously yeah okay but it but it's true but it's all it all it's not a troll if it's true. There's a whole chapter in the book on the importance of trolling people, by the way. Yes. It's, you know, and, and it doesn't feel like any of the trolling has ever been intentionally harmful to a person. Cause that's, a, that's the thing that exists, right? Like trolling is like, Oh, we're doing this to like hurt somebody's feelings or just because, and I'm on board with that kind of fuckery. The, yeah, the yeah. let's just, let's just <laughs> troll and have fun with it. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things that seems to kind of parallel the idea of the trolling is, is this overarching concept of hustle. Um, you know, you may be trolling, but you hustle harder than just about anybody else in the business, right? From, from, at least from what I've read, you know, um, like I said, I started off with this thought that I'm going to just completely finish this book and now I'm slowing down and taking notes and like, this is what I'm taking back to my, in my professional life, to my team. Like, here's some lessons. Oh, let's, let's, let's implement these as a part of our core function and how we operate. Um, it's, it, it, it feels like you've spent a life in your career just outworking, even though it may be somewhat silly. Well, a lot of that comes from being from Philly. Philly's a shithole. It's a shithole town. No one cares about Philly. And when you're from Philly, you got to work extra hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's like we're always kicked. We're not like New Yorkers like Aaron. We're like, you know, it's it's a, it's a rough and tumble town. Our teams always choke at the end, you know, the whole thing. So anyway, it's I think a lot of it's like, uh, and there's a chapter in the book about, you know, embrace your shithole town mm -hmm. and, uh, and, uh, and use what's in front of you as opposed to, uh, you know, thinking that it's better elsewhere. So you, you guys are effectively the Rocky Balboa here, right? Like the, you're, you're embodying that, that underdog, smaller, maybe slower mentality. And you just outlast. I think what it does is it's given us a sort of punk rock sensibility, mm -hmm. a DIY sensibility of we're not slick. So, we always the other thing in the book we talk about is we make things ugly on purpose and what that means is they're authentic to what they are as opposed to trying to be trendy and i think that um a lot of the ugly on so for instance sailor jerry looks like your granddad like it was on your granddad's basement shelf since 1973 hendrix looks like it's been around for you know since 1870 uh whatever because we made it look authentic to what it is as opposed to trying to, uh, you know, to be a trendy, um, whatever, whatever's hot on TikTok right now. A lot of that comes from, um, this underdog idea that, you know, we can't afford to be trendy. Mm -hmm. Um, we need to sort of work with what's in front of us. And I think what happens is, especially in the spirits industry, it works really well because what, what happens is the brand looks like it's always been there. And then that really builds on the authenticity of it. So I don't know, Aaron, if you want to add to that at all. No, I mean, I think you look at Steve's brands, you know, Hendrix gin looks identical to when it came out in 1999. 
you look at these other, you know, multinational conglomerate owned brands, they're always fucking with the, the label. I mean, you know, Wild Turkey is my favorite bourbon. My God, they had a great looking bottle back in the 70s and 80s. Why every two mm-hmm. years do they redesign it? Now I don't even think there's a turkey on the label. It looks awful. You know, it's a, it's, it's embossed on the bottle now. Yeah. I think they were probably afraid of offending turkeys. Maybe. Well, you know, the thing is, and I think Steve's mentioned this before, you know, every two years they hire a new, you know, agency and those people can't say it already looks perfect. They need to say, okay, here's what you're paying us millions of dollars for is our redesign, you know, and the smartest redesign, I think a brand like Wild Turkey could do is just go back to their classic look. You know, you look at say old Overholt or old granddad, which are not brands Jim Beam puts a lot of money into and thus they stick mm-hmm. with their old labels. They look fantastic. You know, a good example of that is Miller High Life hired us yeah. to tell us what was wrong with their brand. And we said, stop trying to be cool. Like, just... <laughs> and we... Our, our, our main project with them was to redo all their packaging. And what we did was we took it back to the classic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, too, because a lot of brands of ours, like, for instance, Narragansett Beer, everyone assumes it's the original packaging, but it's kind of, it's a mashup of different eras. So mm-hmm. what we did with Miller High Life was um, it's not what the brand looked like. I mean, we take the best of what of the classic stuff and we put it together in a very artful way. So a brand like Miller High Life, it was about stop trying to be trendy and be the classic that you are. We always right. said it's the Hellman's mayonnaise of beer in the sense that it's like, you know, everyone, it's how we got the account, right? We walked in there mm-hmm. with a jar of Hellman's mayonnaise and, and Heinz tomato ketchup and said, these are supermarket brands, but they're the, what the top chefs also use. So yeah. you need to start acting like you're the classic that you are. You're a supermarket brand, but stop chasing whatever's happening now and just be, be the classic. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I think it, maybe it points to like having a clear understanding of what your identity is and not trying to be anything beyond what that is. And, you know, it's, you're right. Like there's it, grocery stores are reshuffling the way they organize their, their stuff every 18 months and brands are redesigning their packaging every two to three years to try to maintain the, the eye of, of the consumer. But if you're a staple brand, you don't have to necessarily do those things. You're not trying to keep up with anybody besides yourself. Um, and if you're not innovating for a good reason, why even do it? You know, like you, you haven't. And I agree. I would love to see the old wild Turkey labels come back. Uh, I will say that I think this version is slightly better than the last version of the bottle that they had. Um, Maybe, but it, it, but it's almost too classy for the wild Turkey brand, right? Like, no, it was another game. terrible redesign was Rittenhouse Rye. My God, what have they done? <laughs> Call me guys. I know you're listening to this. Call me. I'll fix it for you. <laughs> They, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty big donors to this uh, very tiny podcasting platform. They're here all the time. You know, they're like, yeah, we'll give you some money. <laughs> um, but they, yeah, like they, they, and it gets frustrating <laughs> from a consumer standpoint. It's like, all right, cool. Now I have a whole other thing that I got to keep my eye on. Like if it's my core brand, I got to change my brain and understand where it came from. Um, so... You, you know, the, the, I find an issue. So you started in advertising and you're now in the, the spirits game uh, as well as still, you know, doing advertising in the, in the caveat M tour section. Um, you mentioned that there are a few big players that have been in the market for centuries and they were all seen as um, stuff. Old people drink. I think that was in the, the gin market, right? Whenever you're yeah. doing advertising, mm-hmm. is it, <laughs> I guess maybe it's not, but uh, it feels a little bit like foreshadowing that, you know, you found that in the gin market a long time ago, that's exactly what bourbon was doing too. Like it was the exact same behavior at that pattern, but nobody was interested in bourbon until the mid two thousands. Were there some learnings that you could carry from one to the other? Uh, I, I, gee, I don't know. I feel like um, by the time we, when we worked with Hendrix Gin, I think 
when we created Hendrix Gin, I think the magic of Hendrix is that I knew nothing about gin. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know how it was made. I knew nothing. And I think that naivete is what helped it be so fresh and original is that mm-hmm. I, I had no idea. And for some reason, our, our very smart client allowed it to go through. Um, but when we got to the bourbon market and what we're doing now, uh, we always joke that it's beards and barrels. And um, I, I just feel like it's more a point about the entire craft distilling industry is I feel that what are there's like 2000 craft distillers in America now beyond that. Yeah. And I know many of them are, are, you know, business loans and they've got everything on the line. I I would encourage you to take more chances Mm -hmm. and make more interesting liquid and, and, uh, just don't make what everyone else is making because you've got to break through and you've got to uh, have a product that is, is there, there's just hundreds of bourbons out there. What, what I'm sure you, you're making a good bourbon. Like what, what, what mm-hmm. makes you different? Um, pay more attention to your marketing. Seriously. I, and I don't mean this just because I want to sell books, but I would think if you owned a craft distillery, craft brewery, I think my book would be very helpful in helping you understand how to come up with brands and feel free to text me or reach out to me on, uh, you know, on Twitter or Instagram. I'll answer your questions. I mean, I'm very, uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy to help. Yeah. And you're exactly right. I mean, this, like I said, this is a manifesto for advertising and creativity and brand makers. And, you know, if you are a craft stiller, craft brewer, I would challenge that it goes beyond just anything spirits related. If you work in a a product branding, product making concept, there's a lot of key learnings and uh, that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm absolutely stealing a bunch of the stuff to take to um, my employees because I'm not that creative, but I am absolutely not above stealing somebody else's ideas, giving credit, obviously, and saying, Hey, go buy Steven's book and understand this better. But also, you know, let's, let's be intentionally weird or, or do whatever it is. And that's, I think the, the future of whiskey in North America is going to really hinge on craft distillers because, uh, really, really just one note and the major producers, like everybody's sort of doing the same things over and over again. And it's the unique offering. It's the regional offering. It's the, I'm partnering with my local farmer to, to bring back a particular varietal of corn or rye or some other grain that we're not even making whiskey from. I made hemp seed whiskey or whatever, right? Like um, there's a lot of room for innovation to give yourself your own identity. And it's exactly the the message that comes out of this book (coughs) is that following, following other people's steps can be a way to, to see a level success, but it won't last. You know, you may make a bundle of money in the next four years, but you're not going to exist whenever the bubble finally pops. Hmm. True. Um, hmm. I don't know where to go next. Like I said, I, I have these notes and now I'm all out of order. Um, oh, no. Um, so the, going back to, to the camel, right? So I, I didn't know about French Joe camel until this book. Hmm. And I think it might be more terrifying the Americanized version. And I remember growing up with Joe camel and being like, this is not a, like whenever they're like, this is advertising to kids. I'm like, I was a kid when Joe camel was a camel and it never interested me, but man, that French Joe camel is. That's funny. Um, I, I always say that R.J. Reynolds people were the best people I've worked with um, besides the Grant family who are my, you know, main sponsors or main uh, clients now. But the, the R.J. Reynolds mm-hmm. people, it's interesting though, what, you know, I don't want to get into policy, but I worked with Camel uh, towards the end when they were doing all the flavored cigarettes. And I remember saying to them, guys, I think this is really dumb. I think you're just playing with fire. And sure enough, and the hammer came down, right? 
but you see going on right now in the uh, spirits business, there's some wacky shit going on with these canned RTDs, in particular. Yep. And soda pop stuff, and and I I think they got to be careful because um, what's amazing to me is the spirits industry is the one industry that's actually gotten more lax in mm-hmm. the last twenty years, like advertising on TV and things that were never done before. And you're playing with fire when you're doing like you know soda pop brands that I, I don't know what they're well, I don't know what people are thinking or these like. Some of the, you know, it's interesting. I do weird flavors, yep. natural flavors from nature that are, are not definitely like no one's drinking. Uh, kids are not trying to drink <laughs> anal gland whiskey. Um, but I just feel like as somebody who's gone through that uh, with tobacco, I, I, I just think it's a cautionary tale. The other thing that's interesting is with cannabis I was at some snooty writer event the other night and I was talking to a cannabis writer and I just said, yeah, with uh party's over as soon as, as soon as cannabis goes national. Mm-hmm. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, when it goes national, that's when the FDA is going to come in. When the yep. FDA comes in, it's over because the only per- person, only people are going to, going to make cannabis. Uh, anything is going to be Pfizer and Moderna. And, um, and, all these mom and pop wildcatters doing stuff, it's all just going to be over. So I would, I would guess that you're right, that there's going to be, um, you know, Pfizer and Moderna, but I think there's also going to be RJ Reynolds and every, every tobacco company is going to push in hard because they're going to have the freedom to do what they used to do with tobacco. Regulatory certainty is what they all want. It's what wall street wants. Yeah. And it was beautiful in the spirits business. It's funny because we talk about tobacco. Um, you know, Red Camel was fun. That made a ton of money. The ton of money we made is what allowed us to create Sailor Jerry in the first place, mm-hmm. which when we sold that, it, you know, changed, transformed our company and, and, uh, and all that stuff. But what's amazing about tobacco is Nobody hates me the way they hated me when I worked on cigarettes, right? <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing that alcohol has gone through prohibition 90 years ago or 100 mm-hmm. years ago. Beautiful thing. Don't fuck it up. Just have some brains. Know when to draw the line. And just because that, that wacky shit you're doing anyway is not going to it might make you a short-term profit, but it's not a, it's not a long-term brand. Nobody wants, nobody wants that goofy shit. And what, what was the movie um, in the early two thousands, maybe mid two thousands, like, thank you for not smoking. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was my something life. Like, that was my yeah, life. That, Mod squad. Yeah, it's, of death. Ah! <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's super, I don't know. I, I I I understand the complaint that anyone who maybe grew up in the fifties or sixties or seventies might have about tobacco because no one necessarily knew long term what might happen there. But there is no one from nineteen eighty beyond that didn't know if I smoke this, it's going to harm me. And so that kind of uh negative perception of tobacco kind of dwindled a little bit. Um, at least at the, at the back end of my generation, but, um, you've talked about music a lot and, and people like pairings, people love pairings. If I am drinking dunce whiskey, what (laughs) is the appropriate song to listen to here? Like if I'm going to sit down, I want to have a drink. I want to think about it. You know, I like the idea (laughs) of uh, a thinking man. And whiskey, a thinking man's book, a thinking man's whatever. Like, what, what am I listening to? Like, what's 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 the, the the Stephen or the Aaron music selection here? Oh my God, that's a that's a tough one for for me to uh, think off the top of my head. Um, so we'll make Aaron go first then. Like, Aaron, you have to think of us. What 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 what, what are we drinking? What are we listening to? I, I mean, it, ju- it just occurred to me that we should have someone put together the Spotify brand mysticism playlist because so many. Because so many songs are mentioned in the book, uh, you know, for me, 
writing brand mysticism, kind of the soundtrack in my mind, and he's mentioned throughout the book, uh, is Bowie. Yeah. You know, I think okay. it's a real Bowie type book. Um, he's a great, you know, inspiration for a lot of a lot of the work in the book and you know, just like Steven, I'm a big uh, Bowie fan. I don't know what, what song exactly would be the dunce song. I'd have to think about that. Maybe Aladdin Sane or something. But uh, I don't know. That For me, Bowie is, is the patron saint, the musical saint of uh, brand mysticism. I don't know. For some reason, um, Jane's Addiction, Pigs and Zen was popping into my head with dunce. I don't know why. It's like the part of the in the middle of the song when he starts talking anyway um i don't know see dunce is a i i don't know now now you've got me you've got me befuddled i'm gonna have to really think about that <laughs> okay and, we, 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 and, and if it needs to be like three or four songs because i mean obviously you know you're not gonna I mean, if you're sitting down to enjoy a whiskey, you're not necessarily going to drink it all in anywhere between two and a half and five minutes, maybe. So you know, you got you got some things like we need a playlist for the bottle. Like as you consume yes. the bottle, this goes along yes. with it. Yes. Um, I am I'm on board with that thoroughly. Um, it, it, sometimes you kind of build imagery while you're reading, and a lot of the imagery while I'm reading this book, a lot of the imagery that comes out into my brain it, are just shots of. Um, not scenes that are contained within like SLC punk. Like I'm, I'm playing this in my brain just as far as kind of the, the vibe that I got. And I I don't know if that's appropriate. I hope I didn't um, (laughs) put, put the wrong kind of imagery on, on Steven's story and Aaron's writing, but it felt very organized chaos, maybe. Yes. Yes. Appropriate. That is a great um, controlled chaos is, is the theme of my life. Yes. Well, there's a there. There you go. That's the uh, title of the playlist. There, controlled chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. So we'll back off of the what should I drink with dunce? What should or what, what should I listen to while I drink dunce? Um. What should I listen to at all? Right. Like you, you obviously have an affinity for music. Um. What what is what is Stevens go to today? Ah. Uh... I'm really, I, I was listening to Tool on my walk to work today. I walk seven miles a day. Mm-hmm. And uh, on my walk to work, I listen to music. And on my walk home, I, I listen to a book. Mm-hmm. So today I was listening to uh, Tool, the song Third Eye, which is amazing. Tool's a big part of the book, too. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I think it was, uh, uh, I just love the um, complex calls it math rock but it's just very complex and in and, and deep themes so I, i'm really into metal um and punk um and that's kind of what dominates what i listen to is metal and punk all day long mm-hmm. all right aaron so what, what what's what's the soundtrack for you right now uh you know as I've been getting older, I've, I've been revisiting stuff I used to listen to when I was younger. You know, I, I graduated college and moved to New York in twenty or in uh, two thousand and one. So I've been listening to the soundtrack of that summer, which was uh, the Strokes' first album. I've been re-listening to a lot of Strokes stuff as I get older because it makes me feel younger. <laughs> does it until you like turn on the classic rock station and then it shows up on classic rock and you're like, ah, shit. No, okay. until I see how uh, Julian Casablanca's is no longer a young, thin, handsome. <laughs> the, I guy. think the one that gets it- me is, is my, my brother has four children. They're all, you know, close to adulthood and they'll show up at a family gathering wearing a, a Nirvana t-shirt or a Primus t-shirt. I'm like, oh, you guys. And they're like, no, we don't know. This yeah. is just like, it's a fashion it's t-shirt now. Yep. Yep. And I'm like, so. yeah. <laughs> everyone is so, I'm so disappointed every single time. And I, I, I get caught in it. Whenever I see someone in Nirvana t-shirt who's in their twenties, I say, what's your favorite song? Mm-hmm. And they, they can't, they never have an answer. They they just can't one. Name a single one. Just want, just give me oh, one and I'll feel better about it. I, I the oh, only wow. time I got just surprised, I was in, the only time I ever got surprised, I was in like a, a, a an antique store, and this I'm wearing like a Nirvana T-shirt myself, but it's got like holes in it because it's from 
a long time ago. And this kid comes up and he was like, Hey man, I like your shirt. And I'm like, Oh yeah. You know who that is? And he like rolls off like five or six of his favorite songs. I'm like, there's a hope for the future generation. There's still some weird kids out there that are like picking up some, um, musical canon, um, that, that, that might exist out there. So, um, I don't know. We're closing in on an hour right now. Um, you know, we haven't ran down. Where can I buy brand mysticism? Where can I buy dunce whiskey? All right, you can buy buy brand mysticism everywhere. Mm -hmm. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, everywhere books are sold. Um, you can buy Dunce Whiskey via Sealbox, Sealbox.com. Is that how you say it? Sealbox, right? I think, is that, I think that's his website. S E E Sealbox.com. Yeah. B A C H. dot com, and um, you can also buy it at our distillery throughout the entire state of New Hampshire and our store in Philadelphia. But if you're outside of um, New Hampshire or Pennsylvania, then go to uh, sealbox.com. Yeah. Which and, has a and, beautiful and, box. That, yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a house of Tamworth Dunce whiskey uh, brand mysticism book package. Fantastic packaging, which I guess, you know, it has to be. Right. Like you can't have an entire book about <laughs> being an advertising pro and have terrible packaging. Or maybe you can. Maybe that's the troll. Like everything should have been like in brown craft paper with a child's handwriting on it or something just to kind of one more last shot. But um, I, I've enjoyed the imagery within the book. Um, I've enjoyed the, 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 the marketing materials. Like these are the things that, and, and you alluded to it earlier, Stephen, you know, you wanted to put, make stuff that someone would, you know, tear out of a magazine and put on their wall, which yep. makes a ton of sense for me whenever I was a kid, because that's what we did. You know, we, yep. we didn't have the ability to print off an image that we want to put up on our vision board wall or whatever it is that it's called now. But um, I would guess that a lot of the things that you've done in the last handful of years, last 20, 30 years or whatever are now ending up in some kids, college portfolio dream board to be able to create brand marketing going forward. Like this is there, there's case studies here. And then um, Aaron, we didn't even talk about, you've got a ton of other books that are out there. Obviously this is your current project, but like you, you this is not your first rodeo and, it, and it's obvious as well. Right. So, you know, there's, there's a, there's a symbiosis that, that feels my like best it's right. rodeo, but not my first. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Yes. That, 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 Weirdest rodeo. Weirdest rodeo. Yeah. Yeah. And they can be the same thing, you know, like somebody's actually riding the bull a full eight seconds, but they're also wearing like a sequin vest and that's okay. <laughs> Aaron uh, wears a sequin vest. You know, I don't doubt <laughs> it. You know, maybe may, may, he's, <laughs> he's from New York. He's from New York. <laughs> you know, and, and you just confirmed someone's buy somewhere. Um, it feels like there's a whole lot, maybe uh, a New York versus Philly conversation that should happen as well, but I'm not interested in starting a war today. Hmm. Well, and I'm going to let this go ahead. I have to go. I have a, yeah. I have a room. I have a whole uh, corridor full of people waiting to get into my office. So I'm, I'm going to have to go. Thank you so much for your time, Stephen. I appreciate sure. you joining me. Um, yeah, go go go. take care of business. Do the things that you need to do to continue to be successful. Um, Aaron, I assume you do need to drop as well. I don't have anyone waiting for me, but I do have a cat that looks like he wants to be fed, so that's enough for me. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate you joining me as well. Thank you for Thank you. Uh, joining me. Thank you for a copy of the book. And I was able to <laughs> glean a lot of insight. My employees are so thankful. Um, but I really enjoyed the conversation. I Thank too. you. Thanks for having us. Thank bye. You so much, bye. All right. Bye. All right. So um, kind of doubling back on it, sealbox.com hit. Um, you can just put in their search function dunce and it'll give you the link to their um, actual product and you're exactly right. Let's see if I can make this work right now. Maybe that link will work. Maybe it won't. I'll, I'll dump a link into the chat. Um, folk will have the ability to click this. If not, like I said, just go to sealbox.com. Um, hit that link. Book's fantastic. Haven't tried the whiskey yet. Um, you know, maybe my next order coming from Sealbox. But um, that'll be it for today. 
thanks for tuning in for this offering from the Embellished Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you have to be consuming this on. And leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media. <clears throat> at Twitter, Instagram, using Embellish Pod, and give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on here. Um, I can be found at www.embellishpod.com, and that has all of my links, account, contact details, and so forth. I'll be back again tomorrow with another new offering for you. So until then, cheers, and thanks for hanging out.